everyone to another episode of Steeping Together, the podcast where we explore the vast world of tea over a cup of tea with tea enthusiasts. I'm your tea-obsessed host, Marika, and I am so excited to be here today with you all. So nature has provided us with so many amazing plants and herbs, our favorite being the Camellia sinensis plant. With careful manipulation through various drying, oxidation, and storage methods, this one plant can provide a myriad array of flavors, both soothing and tantalizing. But how does one create a tea that tastes like key lime pie or roasted marshmallow? And if you're asking yourself, why would I want a tea that tastes like key lime pie or roasted marshmallow? Well, then to that I say, what, are you allergic to fun? Look, traditional teas can encapsulate many notes that we can free associate with different flavors. But how do you create a tea that is in and of itself a recreation of a culinary dish? In an effort to answer this question, I have enlisted the help of our resident expert on flavor balance and creation, Billy Dietz. Billy, welcome to Steeping Together. Thanks. It's so nice to be here with you, Marika. Billy, would you care to introduce yourself the way you would like to be introduced? My name is Billy Dietz. I develop creative products and hope that the world enjoys them. That is so beautiful. Oh, my God. Sorry, I'm really taken aback by that. You hope that the world enjoys them. I know you because we've been working together for the past three years, and I know that you deliberately seek out different flavors um, from from all kinds of inspirations, be it desserts, be it, you know, savory dishes. Um, but there is a joy that you bring to that research that I really appreciate. And I think I just put it together that that joy stems from wanting to bring others joy. Of course. That's what it's all about. At the <laughs> When it comes down to it, that's what tea is about. It's about helping to bridge those conversations over a cup of tea or whether that's uh, bringing friends together, or whether that's bridging and making a connection to someone of a different culture. That's really what it comes down to. I love it. I'm going to say that a lot. I say that a lot. I love it. But I love that kind of warmth and joy that you bring to your job, because you are the director or the head of R&D here at David's Tea. Like, what does that mean? There's a lot of different meanings and I think a lot of different ways where you can interpret it because while, yes, it's just like any other job, it has its administrative side, it has the things that you normally need to do with any any job, right? But I think one of the differences with this job is inherently you do, as a person that's doing developing, you do need an inherent and deep personal passion for flavor in every form, whether mm. that's in other beverages, whether that's in your cooking and foods and things that you seek out to eat and flavors that you wish to discover. Uh, it's a job that you can't really turn off. Mm. So I think there does need to be an inherent and deep-seated passion for that. So even cooking, I, uh, my partner and I, we cook uh, at least twice a day. Yes, I have seen your Instagram feed. <laughs> Mostly hers. Mostly hers, yes. But um, yeah, this isn't something that you you walk into the office at nine, turn on, and then leave at five and turn off. Definitely this is, not. I think it is a commonality with a lot of people who work at David's Tea is that kind of flavor hunter aspect that need to discover and, you know, expand on flavor and learn more about it and to see how it 
connects us all and makes us all very, very human. You know, the need to cook our food and to transform uh, what sustains us into something delicious that everyone can share and appreciate. I think that's something that we, not all of us in the office, I mean, some people work in finance, and I'm not putting anything on the people in finance, the good people of finance, I'm sure enjoy a good, a good meal. But um, I think certainly in the tea department, that seems to be kind of the running thread. We're all very distinct people, we have distinct cultural, socioeconomic, geographical, cultural backgrounds. But I think at the very heart of it, we have a passion for flavor and sharing that that uh, that passion. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And when it comes down to it, tea is just fun, and transmitting <laughs> different flavors through tea is just fun. I know it's it sounds so silly, but when something is fun, it propels you to yeah. keep going and to keep discovering and keep tasting. Absolutely wonderful. So when we are talking about R&Ding a tea. So nature has provided us, as I said at the introduction of this episode, with the plant, the Camellia sinensis plant, that if you oxidize to 10%, to 20%, to 30%, 70%, you're going to get different flavors. That's how you get, you know, the distinction between green and white and poor and all of that. Why would we as a species need to flavor a tea if we already have the perfect plant there? I mean, we've been doing it for hundreds of years, right? I mean, the very first teas were puar teas. So they're not oxidized, they're fermented. And I don't know, have you ever heard the history of like the first puar cakes from like 5,000 years ago? Uh, maybe in different forms, but let's go over it. <laughs> well, I mean, what I've read, and, and you'll tell me if I'm wrong or not, I've read that these cakes, yes, had tea, but they also had other ingredients in them and ingredients as varied as orange peels and onions and salt. It's almost like the, the progenitor, the origin of tea was closer to a soup than it was to a singular beverage. So that's what I've heard mm -hmm. is that the tea and in particular compressed tea was an easy means of transporting different nourishment to populations that were maybe in more arid climates or higher elevation climates that didn't have the right climate to grow vegetables mm -hmm. and other nutritious things. Right. And the way to overcome the inherent bitterness, let's be honest, mm -hmm. of Camellia sinensis was to put these other sweet ingredients or fragrant ingredients and salt in particular. Salt is a binder to bitterness as a taste receptor. So it helps to curb that. I feel like um, you just dropped a bomb. Oh, so casual. <laughs> you said salt is a binder to bitterness. What do you mean by a binder? Meaning that to keep it simple, adding salt to your food reduces the bitterness of that food. That's why, let's say, blanched vegetables, if you blanch them in salted water, are less bitter than their fresh counterparts. Okay, so these cakes were made partially in need for greater sustenance than just tea leaves, and the human instinct to make something taste better goes back thousands of years. It's just so deeply ingrained in our brains and just the way we see the world. We don't eat raw meat. You know, we, we, we have to season it. We have to cook it. We have to poach it or blanch it or fry it or you know, we have to 
change it. And so this is a conversation I've had with a lot of tea-centric people who have a tendency to stay on the side of traditional teas, of what we've now come to know as traditional teas, unadulterated aside from the oxidation process or the drying process. And my argument to that is always, well, first of all, you do you. Is that what you like? Do that. I'm not here to convince you otherwise. But I will add a few comments, which is that as humans, we've always flavored our most basic dishes, our most basic teas. And I can think off the top of my head of a few dozen teas that have been flavored for hundreds of years. The one that I'm going to pull out right now is Genmaicha. Great example. So I've heard a few origin stories for Genmaicha. Some are fanciful, some are... Uh, they lack credibility, shall we say, but genmaicha is a Japanese steamed green tea to which roasted rice is added. Now, from a historical perspective, this uh, innovation happened at a time where Japan was going through civil feudal wars, and one theory is that they added the old popped rice to the tea in order to just sustain themselves a little bit more, which goes back to your earlier point. I've also heard the amazing myth that this was created by a samurai servant who accidentally dropped some rice in a teapot and his master was so offended that he chopped his head off upon drinking the tea and then decided to drink the tea and realized that it was very good and named the tea after his now dead servant. I mean, this this tea has taken on... I think anytime you have a samurai involved in an origin story, it's pretty intense, right? Yeah. But from a culinary perspective, from a flavor balance perspective, why would one add roasted rice to a green tea? Like, what are, what are the elements that we're balancing out here? Well, in a Japanese sencha, or probably more likely a bancha, right. in this case, you have a... Cooked, steamed vegetable quality that is fresh, whereas the toasted rice is going to bring sweetness because of the process of it being toasted, uh, as well as that roasted note, which helps to balance out those more vegetal components. Right. So I think inherently it's a balance of contrast rather than of complementary flavors. Right. And that's what has sustained this tea. I mean, this tea was invented sometime in the 1600s, we're assuming. Um, and it's one of the world's OG flavored teas, you know, and it's now considered traditional, like for traditional tea drinkers, it's part of the tea pantry that they go to. So to me, you know, the divide between flavored tea and straight tea, look, there will always be debates and I'm always open for a good debate as long as it's over a cup of tea. But you work primarily in the engineering, the ideation, the, uh, I don't know, the spitballing of the creation of new teas here at David's Tea. How do you even start? Like, this is my big question. Like, how, where do you start, Billy? What do you, what do you look at? Do, do you, do you wake up in the morning, put a bunch of black tea leaves on your table, do a kind of oracle manifestation of like, what would be good on you? Like, this is how I see your job. This is how I'm, I'm imagining like incense burning and you're like, tell me leaves, what would you like me to put on you? <laughs> like, 
Well, first of all, I love that. And maybe we're going to use that and recreate that in a good creative session here at the office because that sounds like a blast. But I think <laughs> I think there are a few a few ways to go about it. But I uh, will stick with the most like organically creative method uh, for ideation of a tea blend. And what that is is starting at the end instead of starting at the beginning. And you okay. work your way backwards. So the way, at least that I would picture it is, I don't know, if I'm scrolling through recipes uh, on the on the internet or in a magazine or anything else, and I stumble on something that, ooh, this is not typical. This is something that we haven't done before, that we've not tried before. Well, what is the final thing? So... Mm. A good example would be something like a, I don't know, banana creme brulee. Okay, let's go with it. So go online, you look at banana creme brulee. What are the components, very broad strokes, what are the components of that in terms of flavor? What are the components of that in texture? And then going beyond that, what components do you want in the end cup and at what balance? So you could have a, the banana creme brulee as your ideation, but someone might say, ooh, I want the banana and the burnt sugar to come out the most. Right. Whereas someone else might say, ooh, I want the banana and the vanilla, like, cream and custard flavors more associated with creme brulee. So I think that the first distinction is coming up with your final descriptor. Mm-hmm. And what you want, and then work backwards. Okay. Okay. So let's take this example example of banana creme brulee, which I love because creme brulee is my favorite dessert of all time. And I've never thought of putting bananas in it, but as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, that works. I wouldn't be offended if someone handed this to me. You'd have the the banana is 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 not a zesty fruit. You know, it's a nice soft sweetness. I think the texture of the banana would play very very well with the cream. Um, Am I subtly trying to invite myself over to your house so you can make this for me? Maybe. Not the point. Let's keep going. So you're going to say, I want it to be, I'm going to tell you, Billy, I want it to be lightly sweet. I want the banana to come out. But even though I said lightly sweet, I'm probably going to want some burnt sugar aspect in there. And to me, the the glory of creme brulee comes in the texture of the cream. And yes, it's the dichotomy between the crust on the top and the cream on the bottom. But what I'm really looking for is that comfort, that cream, that vanilla to come in. The silk. That ex- oh, that's the word. There we go. Le mot juste. The silk. Exactly. That's what I'm looking for. How have I been eating this for 39 years and you finally just like randomly... <laughs> pull out the perfect descriptor for what I've been feeling this whole time. This is why you're the head of r and <laughs> Yes, the silk. This is what I want you to create for me. Go, run with it. What are you, what are you doing? Like, are you, my next assumption is that you're going to go for the base because you're going to need a tea base. And caveat, I want it caffeinated. I am a mother of two. I do not have time. I need energy. I got to go. How do you determine the base at that point? So the base of a tea, and there are, as many people know, hundreds and hundreds of different bases you can choose from, even within just 
one tea type, right? Yeah, like even within black teas. Within, if I said black tea, you would have 300 options off the bat. Exactly. So that's the first thing to note mm -hmm. uh, is, okay, well, you want a tea base. Just going off the cuff, I would go for either an oolong or a black tea. Okay. Those would probably be instinctively the first choices that I would go if you want to accentuate uh, that nice burnt sugar quality, but also make sure uh, that you have this like sweet and silky vibe. Mm -hmm. Those I think would be both good options. Okay. I think the oolong would, using a certain oolong would probably help better in that silky custardy mm -hmm. texture that we want to achieve. The black. I'm assuming a greener oolong because you. I love how you had, you were like certain oolongs. You added that at the last minute. Uh, would, would you go with like a greener oolong, like a Taeguanyin, like a Sejichun, or something more in the middle? Yeah, I think it would need to be something in, in the middle. Okay. Because you'd want a little bit of oxidation because it helps bring those like golden flavor notes. And by golden, I mean the burnt sugar, the right. Maillard, those, those type flavors. So that is what would be probably exciting to me. Mm-hmm. With black tea, maybe it's a little bit more thinking not about the flavor of the actual tea base, but what the tea base is bringing. So mm -hmm. if you want silky, you want to stray away from adding astringency because right. astringency will cut that texture mm -hmm. that you're looking for. So these are just a few of the things that are going on in my brain and the, 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 the brains of the talented people on, on my team and that we work with here. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the way that we're viewing these, these products is to that's create a complete layered final product. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And it makes sense that, I mean, you mentioned your team because it's not just you. It's not, you're not alone in a room just coming up with these uh, flavor creations. It does sound like it's something that needs a lot of conversation, a lot of back and forth with different people to gain perspective on what you would want this final product to be. So their input is in, invaluable. Like you literally, could you do your job without that input? You can't do this job alone. Yeah, well... Fantastic. I mean, fortunately, you're not alone. And we all have our opinions on what we would want banana creme brulee to taste like in the end. Um, okay. So you have all these different conversations. You have all these different perspectives. You have all these different ideas. Um, it, it reaffirms in my mind that the title research and development is a really cold one for a department that has so much warmth and so much, so much interaction and so much creativity. So what's the creative part of your job that you enjoy the most? Experimentation, trial and error always drives you to learn more. And there is no shortage of learning. Mm. And I think for me, the creative, the creative outlet kind of comes in the form of continued learning because there is no point at which we are going to reach a cap on what we can do with blended tea. Right. And that is exciting. <laughs> Your eyes literally lit up. You're like, that is exciting. I completely agree with you because you will continue to be inspired by, yes, trends, but more um, other creatives in the sense of, you know, chefs or bloggers or other flavor hunters. I mean, we're not alone and you can continue to get 
pushed to that limit of creating something new. What was the hardest tea for you to to nail that you know that you nailed it? Like, you know, you succeeded at it. Wow. Uh, one of one of the journeys in development that I think took a lot of not only creative effort, but just fine tuning was creating a hazelnut chocolate tea. Because there is a certain association that everyone has with hazelnut chocolate spread. It rhymes with Futella. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We can't say it, but there it is. (laughs) So this association is sort of the pinnacle of flavor that is ubiquitous as the where you need to hit. It's your benchmark. It is your goal. Right. In texture, in composition of flavor, in balance, the cocoa with the toasted hazelnut, all of these things have to come together uh, not only perfectly, but like beyond perfectly. (laughs) And I say that not out of frustration. I say that as because it continues to push and make you better Mm -hmm. and make your products better and your partners and your team better. So that's all good. But this particular profile has been worked on in renditions for even before I joined David's Tea, which now uh, is over six years. So this has been going on in the background for a long time. And we're talking about, this is not just conversations. This is creating samples, tasting samples, talking through those samples, what went right, what went wrong, because to hit that flavor that as a Western audience that we know so well that we've had since we were children, everybody has their own memory of this flavor. Everybody can recall that flavor almost instantly the minute you say the word. So over six years to develop it, when when did you know we got it. We did it. Like, we, we, we can rest. <laughs> I think the biggest game changer for us as a development team was twofold. One was finding the proper sweetener mm-hmm. to use to, to help accentuate that sweetness of the chocolate But the other game changer was finding the right pour base. That pour base turned out to be just so perfect Mm. to capture both the nutty quality and like the deep, rich um, flavor from the chocolate. Mm -hmm. That for me, that's what made it. That's what made it. Because, yeah, I. I always try to put on, uh, not put on, but I always try to uh, taste the teas that the R&D team presents with a great deal of, you know, optimism and objectivity. And when I first saw the tea and the tea base, I thought, good Lord in heaven, what have they done to one of the most ancient teas on the planet? What would possess them? (laughs) And then I tasted it and I understood immediately what had happened. That tea, you genuinely taste the hazelnut, the chocolate. It's not overly sweet. 
Um, yes, you can turn it into a latte. Yes, it makes a phenomenal iced latte, by the way. Like, holy cow, that is nice and smooth. Um, but it didn't betray the base. And by that I meant I can still taste the puar, but the puar is accentuated by these additions. And to me that was, I agree with you, it took a really long time to come up with. I really think you nailed it with that one. Um, if I didn't think that, I probably would have just gone, yeah, oh, well, good for you. I'm happy you were happy with that result. But it is one of my favorite teas. It is just a really beautiful tea. So, Billy, in wrapping up here, what does tea mean to you? When I say tea, what, is it, what does it evoke? This is going to be maybe ironic mm -hmm. coming to you as an American. <laughs> okay. But tea... There's a lot of freedom in tea. There is freedom for the processors to experiment, mm. try different things. There is freedom for companies and wholesalers and whatever to blend and to try out different flavors. And there is freedom for the end consumer to brew it however they want it. Mm. And I feel like with a lot of other products, they're already given to you complete. Wine is given to you complete. Beer, same thing. Uh, even coffee, there yes, there are different methods. But unless you're roasting yourself, you don't even control that. With tea, you have an unbridled scope of freedom right. in what you can do with it and make it how you want. Right. I can't. I mean, first of all, I completely agree with you, like 100%. Um, being married to an American myself, am I shocked that the thing that tea means to you is freedom? No. No, I'm not. <laughs> but I do love how you expressed it because, yeah, it is absolute freedom. All right. So before we go and take a break, I think I'm going to take a break with this tea you've brought today. Do you want to tell everyone what we've been sipping on this whole time? Indeed, we are sipping on milk oolong. Mm -hmm. Again, one of these OG flavored teas. Yeah. The flavoring in which most commercial milk oolongs are made now was added in order to accentuate a natural property of, uh, of the terroir where this particular varietal was grown. Yeah. So there's a sense of tradition even in a flavored milk oolong. Absolutely. No, I love milk oolongs. I love um, Jin Shuan, which is the traditional tea upon which it's based. Um, and before the flavoring was added, um, one of the tasting notes or describers associated with this tea was its creaminess. And through innovation and modern flavoring techniques, um, milk flavoring was added. And it's another one of those examples where we're not hiding the tea with the flavoring. We're accentuating what's already there and pushing it to its next logical step, which I really love. It's been perfect for this conversation. Thank you so much for bringing it. And uh, we're going to take a little break and enjoy our tea. Today's episode of Steeping Together is brought to you by Organic Emerald Jade. Organic Emerald Jade is plucked from a family-owned organic tea garden in Suizhou Prefecture, China. This classic Chinese green tea is fresh, energizing, and super easy to drink. And our director of R&D, Billy, literally drinks it every single day. No joke. 
The man has access to literally thousands of teas, and yet every time I see him at work, that's what he's drinking. So, organic emerald jade. Look, if it's good enough for a head of R&D, it's good enough for you. Welcome back. It's time to play What Are You Drinking? The quiz where we ask our guests three situational questions, some realistic, some completely out there. And they have to use all their experience and expertise to tell us what they would drink in any one of these given situations. Billy, are you ready to play What Are You Drinking? Let's do this. (laughs) Billy, it's pizza night. You've ordered in a pizza with all your favorite toppings, and now you just need the perfect tea to go with it. What are you drinking? Ooh, honestly, that is super easy. (laughs) I like how you're judging. You thought it was going to be way harder than that. You're like, oh, you're going to lob an easy one at me? Fine, Rick. (laughs) All right, I'll make them harder. Noted. (laughs) Pizza night? Yeah. Iced orange pecco, slice of lemon, little bit of sugar. Oh, I'm excited. I want to come over. Sorry. That is classic. American. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to be like, well, obviously it's going to be a nice tea. But yeah, there's there's a reason that's just a good old classic, right? You've got some astringency. You've got that refreshingness. It kind of doesn't matter at that point. Or does it what toppings you've had on your pizza? You know, I don't think it matters as much because the pizza, regardless, it's going to be salty and fatty Mm -hmm. and having some sweetness and a little bit of acidity and astringency to balance that out. That's all you need. Perfect. Excellent. All right. Ready for question two? Bring it on. Things are starting to get serious with your significant other and you're about to meet their parents for the first time. Time. You're hosting them for tea and brunch. What tea do you pick to impress them? And how do you brew it? What are you drinking? Oh, my. A little harder, huh? It is a little <laughs> harder. You know what? I feel like I'm going to go not with my gut instinct on this. Oh. Yeah. I'm doing a blooming tea in a glass teapot. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay. You're not going with your instinct. We need to unpack that first. What was your first instinct? My first instinct was probably to do like a gongfu style oolong. Okay. Because that's just what I'm the most comfortable with. It's what I prefer. It's what I like. But that's thinking about me. Very smart. Because you don't want it to be all about you when you're meeting the significant other's parents for the first time. You could be seen as egotistical. Yes. And they would share that with your partner. And already as an American. No, I'm just kidding. Don't put that in there. <laughs> You've got so many strikes against you. Why are you adding even more? Right? No. Completely untrue. Okay. I like the pivot. I like the self-awareness of the pivot, quite frankly. And then you're going to go for a blooming tea. Okay, so for for anybody who doesn't know, blooming teas are hand-sewn tea leaves that are compressed into balls. And so when you put them in a clear teapot and add hot water, they literally bloom into a flower. And it's visually stunning. This is what you're going with. For what reason? Making something else the focal point. Oh, you're Machiavellian in your introduction to the significant other's parents. I enjoy this. Making something else the focal point. You're like Houdiniing them 
It sounds so deceitful. You have one shot. You have one opportunity to make an impression with these people, and you're taking it. And you know what? I respect it. So. <laughs> Blooming so, tea it is. Blooming tea it is. Okay, making a conversation piece. That's the nicer way of saying it. You're not oh, trying to distract oh, or deceive. Yes, yes, Marika. It's a conversation starter. It's a conversation piece. Excellent. Uh, well done, Billy. The, 30 points. I'm just assigning points for because I feel like you you gave a lot of thought to that. And I, I feel like you need some kind of like cookie or something. So oh, there you go. You. You're thank welcome. You. Love my blue star. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. You're a caterer and you've just been hired to provide the food and beverage for the opening reception of a very high profile artist. The exhibition features hundreds of meticulously painted portraits of ostriches working customer service jobs. The artist wants the tea that's served to be on theme with this collection of ostrich artwork. What are you drinking? That is a lot to unpack. It's a lot. First of all, this is high profile. This is Musée des Beaux-Arts. This is, you know, the Met, you know, this is a real exhibition. See, you can't laugh at the art. First step, right? This is a profound statement on the uh, state of customer service in the 21st century. How are you em- embodying that in a tea? Maybe the easiest way for me to wrap my head around this is to find the things that are relatable within tea. Mm. So ostriches... Mm-hmm. I think Africa. So then I think African tea. There is bountiful and wonderful teas. But then I think high profile. So I'm going to go out and try and find a pretty exclusive, like silver needle style tea, mm-hmm. but with African origin. Like a, like a Kenyan white? Exactly. Oh, and the and the white leaves, which are very you know feathered and have you know little hairs, bird like, bird like almost. I think that that would be my angle. I'm always so impressed at how you're able to like take the different components of something <laughs> and put it together, and I think that's why you're the head of R and D. I mean, you have. A lot of professional background. You have a lot of, you know, you have a great skill set, you know, but you have an ability. You took that question and you took all of its components and you really took something that was already out there and made it your answer. I love that so much. I have no (laughs) follow-up because that is the final say on the most bizarre question we've had yet on what are you drinking? Billy, bravo. You you win. (laughs) 30 points of blue star and I win. Exactly. All this couldn't it. be better. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> Billy, I cannot thank you enough for joining me today in this conversation. It has been enlightening. It has been just fascinating. Thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge and passion with us. Thank you. And I hope everyone can look at blended tea in a very different light, maybe something you haven't thought of before, because it is... It is a world that is wild and crazy and embracing that wild and crazy might do us all some good. I could not have said it better myself. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to today's episode. 
If you would like to reach us with comments, questions, or suggestions for the What Are You Drinking game, you can do so at steeping.together at davidstea.com or through our website, davidstea.com. Have a great week and happy steeping, everyone. <laughs>